Good morning. Again, Happy New Year. <laughs> it's good to see um, all of you this morning. It is family service, right? So if you have little kids with you, go ahead and smush their little faces, give them a kiss. All right, take a deep breath. We're going to have fun together this morning. If you have teenagers with you, embarrass them a little bit. All right, reach over, give them a smooch on the cheek. If you have your kids with you in general, just go ahead. This is your opportunity. I'm giving you your chance to embarrass your kids, okay? So, uh, but we're excited for, for our family service today as we begin uh, the new year. If, if you're here this morning, which you are, um, and we were taking attendance, you'd have perfect attendance for 2023. So look at you. You're off to a great start already. So let's just keep that going, all right? We'll just kind of go all the way through 2023 together. So, um, but I think this really is uh, an awesome and a fitting way for us to begin the new year together as the family of God, right? I, I think it is. Maybe you don't think it's as significant as me, perhaps, but I really do think it's quite special that the first day of the year we get to be together as our individual families, but together um, as the family of God, right? I'm sure that you have your traditions maybe um, set up for today. How many of you are eating pork and sauerkraut today? Yes, okay, see, that's a Pennsylvania Dutch thing, okay? So if you're not from the area, that's, that's one of the traditions. Um, but I'm sure you have your traditions to gather around your table this evening with your pork and sauerkraut, and uh, that's going to be wonderful. Well, we're going to get to do something together today as uh, the family of God. We're going to gather around the Lord's table, and we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, today as we begin the new year as one of our traditions, as God's family, because that's what you and I are. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? As you look around the people in this room, okay, take a minute, the people that you just said hi to, people you just greeted, do you think of them as your family? You ought to. You should, right? And, and if you don't, I want to encourage you, uh, just find a way to press into community and build a relationship wherever you can, however you can, because it is critical for you to be a part of God's family, to be loved, and to bring what you've got to the table, right? We need what you have. If, you're, if you weren't here, we would be lacking, um, right? We'd be lacking what you bring to the table. And, and we want you to be here so that way we can be complete, uh, the complete body of Christ that he's called us to be here at Cornerstone. So we're excited uh, for today, excited for you to be here. As you uh, follow your family traditions today, like I said, we're going to follow our tradition um, and being reminded of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And I'm looking forward uh, to that time that we have together at the end of our service. If you were with us last month during our Advent series, uh, we talked about the greatest Christmas family. We talked about the Heavenly Father. We talked about Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then if you remember throughout that series and culminating on the Christmas celebration service at the State Theater, did you make it to the, the State Theater? That was awesome. It was wonderful uh, to be there together, right? Uh, to be there together again in that, uh, that location under one roof together. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was great to see many of you there. Um, but if you remember, that series kind of culminated with uh, Pastor Tim teaching us 
how you and I are a part of God's family, how we are included into the family of God, how you and I are invited into God's family. And throughout the entire series last month, uh, the thread that was throughout that whole series focused on the role of adoption and how God has adopted us into his family. We have all been adopted by our Heavenly Father, which is perhaps, at least I think, one of the most beautiful truths that we could cherish as a believer, is this idea that God has chosen us, that he has adopted us, that he has made us his own, that he wanted you to be his son and his daughter, that he adopted you and I. And so today, my goal, or at least I'll try to attempt to bridge that series to our next series by focusing on how the entire Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, plays a vital role in our lives and at least help us see how each part of the Godhead plays a role in our life. So my hope, at least, um, and I'll try to be brief, I promise, uh, my hope is that this can be an encouraging message for us as we begin the new year, because when we talk about family, I don't know about your family, but family can be a little bit of a sore subject sometimes, you know? Maybe you got together with some family over the holidays, and maybe there wasn't some pleasant conversations that you had. Maybe there was some arguing, or maybe you were reminded of what it felt like when you were a kid, and you're like, this is why I left this place. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, when you get back together with family, you fall back into those kind of relational ruts that you kind of grew up in, and you get back with family, and they drive me crazy, you know? Maybe you're hoping that Christmas break would be over and that school would start again. Only one more day, all right? We'll make it through this together, I promise. But whatever it might be, all right, whenever we talk about family, um, I don't know what your family was like growing up. Maybe you had a good family, and they really showed you what it meant to be loved, and they exemplified God's love for you. Or maybe you didn't have a good family, and so this topic could be a tough topic to talk, talk about. Either way... We have to at least be willing to admit that there are habits that we have formed in our earthly families that we've carried over into um, our, our heavenly family here, right? There are likely bad habits that we've formed from the way that we interact with um, the people in our own families that we've brought into certain levels of expectations, whatever it might be, your quirks your idiosyncrasies, the things that make you, you, right? You've brought them now into this family, and some of those things God wants to change. Some of those habits that you formed, some of those lies that you believe, right, about yourself or about others, um, some of the ways that you relate to other people or interact with other people because of the way you interacted with your own family, God's trying to help change those habits so that way we can form a healthy family, the family of God. Now, like, let's be patient with each other in the process because it takes time. It takes time for God to change us, to make us more like his son, and to make us into the family that he's called us uh, to be. So let's be a little patient with each other in the process. And thankfully, if you want to grab your Bibles um, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, thankfully, Paul is here to help teach us how you and I are to function as members of God's family. 
And I think we need to be patient with each other in the process. You know, as you turn in your Bibles, I heard a quote this week that I thought, I don't know, it just, it made a lot of sense to me. It was really helpful as I was thinking about the new year and whatever goals that I had for this coming year or resolutions, whatever it might be. I heard this quote and it put things into perspective for me and I hope it'll be helpful for you too. And the quote says this, that people overestimate how much they can change in the short term, and they underestimate how much they can change in the long term. Now, sometimes we think that we're going to come out of the new year, out the gates, gun blazing, right? We're going to accomplish that goal that we've had on our goal list at the start of every new year, thinking that, you know, I don't know, this will be the year where things will be different. And then we get to the end of that year and we have to adjust our expectations to think, okay, I didn't quite accomplish everything I was hoping to, Uh, maybe halfway accomplished things, whatever it might be. But it just takes us a long time to change. And I think that's by design. So don't get discouraged. Don't overestimate how much you can change this year and set some lofty goals that aren't really attainable. But don't underestimate what it looks like for you to live a life of faithfulness to God over many years. Because it's a life and a commitment to faithfulness in God that he will change you, he will shape you, he will mold you over time more and more into the image of his son. I'm sure if you look back over 10 years, you can see just how much God has made you into the man or woman that he's called you to be. And you think 10 years from now, who will you, who will you be then? You know? So let's, let's look forward with hope and anticipation, but let's be patient with ourselves and with one another in the process. So with that said, would you stand with me this morning uh, for the reading of God's word? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3 starting with verse 14 through verse 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? You may be seated. All right, so this is a prayer that Paul prayed uh, while he was writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. It's actually the second prayer that you'll read about, um, the second prayer in the book of Ephesus uh, that you're going to read uh, about. It's an incredible prayer. It's very, um, when, when you understand how Paul wrote this letter, it has a very positive tone. And so Paul is getting caught up in the moment. He's getting carried away. and He's got uh, these, these sidetrack, bunny trail kind of moments where he gets pulled in different directions and he can't help himself because he gets so excited about what he's trying to communicate to his readers. And I hope that we can catch a little bit of that for ourselves today, especially as he talks about the love of God. 
the love of God for us, for the church, for the people of God, for his family, God's love for his sons and his daughters, God's love for you. And I hope that we can be reminded of that love today and, and get caught up, kind of like Paul got caught up, and be a little bit excited um, and encouraged as we leave. So in this letter to the church of Ephesus, Paul starts this section that we're reading today uh, with the phrase, for this reason. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. But what is the reason? For what reason does Paul bow his knees before the Father? And if you have your Bibles open still, uh, for us to be able to better understand what reason Paul is praying, we actually need to go back to the beginning of chapter 3. And what you'll find is that he starts off chapter 3 with that same statement. He starts off chapter 3 saying, for this reason, and then he immediately calls a timeout. It's like he remembered something that he wanted to say. And so he starts off saying, for this reason, he calls a timeout. He, he, he takes a timeout. He pauses for a moment and he allows himself to be sidetracked. So that way he can explain the reason that he bows his knees before the Father. And the reason and the most important piece that we see uh, in those verses prior to 14 through 21 is what Paul refers to as a mystery. The reason that Paul bows his knees before the Father is because of an incredible mystery that was not made known to previous generations. That mystery that was made known is that Gentiles, you and I, are now fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. That we are members of the same body and that you and I are partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. What does that mean? That means that you have a seat at the table. That means you get to come home for the holidays and there's going to always be a place setting there for you. That there's always room for you. That God has adopted you. That he's made you his son, his daughter, and he has welcomed you open arms into the family of God. Not just you, but everybody that would believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Because if you can be saved, if I can be saved, then anybody can be, right? That means anybody who believes in Jesus Christ has a seat at the table. I love that. I think we all desire that, don't we? To have an audience with God, to have a seat at the table with God. We all look for position in life to be affirmed or approved of, and typically we look for that from the wrong people. And yet Jesus Christ made it possible through his life for us to be clothed in his righteousness so that way when God sees us through our faith in Jesus, he sees his son. That you and I are welcomed into the family of God and you and I are giving, uh, given a seat at the table. Now, that's actually only half of what Paul says in these previous verses. He actually goes on to explain that this new family comprised of all of us, this new family that we are a part of, is made up of all sorts of people from all different backgrounds, with all different testimonies, from all different walks of life, right? That this new family is made up 
of all different kinds of people, and that family forms what is known as the church. I know, this is rocket science, right? That you and I are the church. I say this often, we don't go to church. This is a building. It's a nice building. We're really thankful for this building. But you and I are the church. This is just a building. So you and I form the church, and here's what is so incredible, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Essentially, what Paul is saying that you and I are God's plan to display to the heavens the purpose of God through Jesus Christ. You are a part of God's plan. This group of people right here was God's plan to display to the heavens his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. Now, before you look around the room and think, that doesn't seem like much of a good plan to me, right? I mean, that's the temptation because we love to like hate on the church, don't we? We love to talk about all of the faults of the church. Yes, the church is full of imperfect people, of which I'm one of them, and so are you, right? And so sometimes we love to pick on the church. It's like a really popular thing to do in our culture right now, and yet God says that it was his manifold, it was in his manifold wisdom that he would use the church to display to the authorities in heaven his eternal purposes in Christ Jesus. We're told that his manifold wisdom, which means all of the different parts of his plan, come together and they culminate in this right here. This is the pinnacle of what God did through his son. He chose you and I to be a part of his family. You and I are the manifold wisdom of God displaying to the authorities in heaven his eternal purposes in Christ Jesus. You are invited in and you are and always have been a part of God's plan. Do you believe that? If you take hold of that for your heart, it'll transform your life. And so I could probably spend all morning talking about this because I think it's that incredible, but I would be sidetracked like Paul got sidetracked. And before we get sidetracked like Paul, I think this should at least give us enough of an idea of what was in his mind so that we can hop back into our passage today where he begins in verse 14 by saying, for this reason. And so we're going to break down this passage, this prayer, into three statements, and each beginning with the word that. So if you mark your Bibles, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles open, and if you mark in your Bibles, to circle the beginning of each one of these statements that I'm about to share with you. And each statement begins with the word that. And so my hope is that this could become kind of our prayer as the church as we head into the new year. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Which this statement alone is incredible. When Paul says that he bows his knees, it doesn't seem like a big deal to you or I, right? Because we're familiar with this posture of prayer. 
The idea of bowing at your bed at night, right? Whatever it might be, coming to the altar and bowing. But that's not the same posture that Jewish believers would have been in when they prayed. They actually would stand when they pray, and they'd pray with their eyes open. You can still see this over in Israel, where they stand in front of the wailing wall, and they're standing as they pray, and they rock back and forth, right? Reciting their prayers. And so for Paul to say that I bow my knees before the Father, what he is saying is that he is buckled, his knees buckle under the weight of these incredible truths that he just hopes that we can grasp a little bit of what he's trying to say. If we could just stand on our tippy toes, right, and reach for the top shelf, right? And just grasp and taste just a little bit of the love of God for us that it would change and transform how we live for him. And Paul is so burdened with this desire that his knees buckle in prayer before his father, begging that for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. That's what Paul says. For what reason? That you may be strengthened. How many of you need strength for the year ahead of you? Paul says that he prays that we would be strengthened, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's where you need strength this morning. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Is your inner being strong? Because if your inner being is strengthened by God, you can endure whatever this year holds for you. How strong is your heart? How strong is your love for the Lord? How strong is your understanding of God's love for you? How strong is your heart to accept the fact that the Holy Spirit causes Jesus Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith? That's where real strength comes from. Real strength is found in your inner being. And so we see a couple of things happening here that we're going to want to take notice of, but they all revolve around this idea of being strengthened for the purpose of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And what I find so amazing about this is how it's accomplished. The means that this is accomplished is through the riches of God. We can't do this without God giving us the resources and the ability to acquire it. And thankfully, God's resources, last time I checked, are limitless. So God has the resources that you need. The Spirit of God is the one who enables Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. And the only thing that you need to do is have faith. And thankfully, in the book of Ephesians, we're told even the measure of faith that you have is a gift from God. God does everything that you need, everything required for you to be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So I don't know what this past year has held for you. Maybe this past year was challenging, more challenging than you ever thought possible. Maybe you're moving into this new year hoping that things will be different just because the calendar date changed. Maybe as you look ahead at the calendar, you see some things that are coming up that cause you to realize, I need strength for what lies ahead. 
And I agree, we all need strength in the family of God for whatever lies ahead of us this year. But typically, we underestimate how much strength we need because we always result to doing it under our own power and in our own strength. But thankfully, God has limitless resources to provide you with the real measure of strength that you need for the year ahead of you with all of the surprises, the twists and turns, and ups and downs that lie ahead. And it's with this in mind that we encounter the next that statement that I want to look at this morning with you. And on the heels of that statement, it says, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Are you rooted and grounded in love? My guess is that many of us are not. And I can tell that because of the way that we live our lives. This is true for me as well. Some of us are not rooted and grounded in love. We are grounded in the past, aren't we? We're stuck there. We're grounded in the past, rooted in guilt. The roots of shame touch every area of our life. Self-hatred becomes our foundation, and regret is often the bedrock for our lives. Paul is saying that love is the root system and the foundation that provides the structural integrity for our faith. That if you don't know the love of God so deeply, if God's love isn't the foundation of your faith, then your faith will fail. That your faith will at some point come under attack and it will likely crumble because you need to know the love of God in such a way that it becomes the foundation for everything you do in life. And I know this is gonna take some work to believe, which is why Paul says that we need to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Did you see what it said there? Really easy to miss. It says to comprehend with all the saints. You know, in order for me to know the love of God more fully, I need you in my life. In order for me to know the love of God more fully, at just the right time, I need you to speak a word of encouragement. At just the right time, I need you to challenge me. At just the right time, I need you to come alongside of me so that I can run the race that God has set before me. You need the same thing in your life too, don't you? Many of us come into the new year and we're hoping that it'll be different, but if we're honest with ourselves, we'd hope that many years as we saw that ball drop, right? Somehow this was gonna be the best year yet. You know what you need? You need the body of Christ to come alongside of you to help you comprehend the love of God. So how about you pick up the phone? How about you schedule a time for somebody to come over your home and to have dinner with you? How about you reach out and you get involved in such a way where this group of believers actually becomes your family? So that way you can comprehend more deeply the love of God for you. Because if you think you can do it on your own, you can't. You know, 1 John actually teaches us that if we don't have a sincere love for the family of God, that something's wrong with our faith. Actually, 
a love for the church, a love for the people of God is one of the signs of genuine salvation. So if there's a lack of love in your heart for the church or for the people of God, I'm not saying to question your salvation, but maybe you should a little bit. No, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying like, don't doubt, don't doubt that God has saved you, but ask God to help you to love each other more, to love believers, to love the church, to care for one another. Because in order for us to comprehend the love of God more fully, we need one another. Then we're told to do the impossible, to know the unknowable, is what Paul says. He tells us that we should be constantly trying to know more and more the love of God for ourselves personally, the breadth, the height, the width, and the depth, and to try and know the unsearchable, unfathomable love of God. And when we've tasted just a little bit for ourselves to realize that we've only just scratched the surface, you know the love of God is meant to be experienced. It is. It's not meant to just be memorized and known in your head. There's a thousand miles between your head and your heart. Paul is trying, he's pleading with God that this knowledge of God's love would move from our heads to our hearts so that we could experience the love of God in a transformational way, which brings me to the last statement before we head into the Lord's Supper. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's final reason for praying uh, this prayer was that you and I might be filled. Our hope this year should be that we experience greater fulfillment than we've ever experienced in our lives before. Not in this life, not in our belongings, not in the hope of a new job, not in the hope of a new relationship, but that we would experience greater fulfillment in Christ, that we would be able to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I don't know, but if you, I don't know what your heart looks like. I can't see it physically, right? And even if I could, it wouldn't make a difference because I want us to think of our heart as a container, a heart as a container for God's love. How much room is left in that container? Just a thimble full? You know, if there's just a thimble full of room in your heart for God's love, God will fill it. How about a dump truck full or an ocean full of God's love? To whatever degree you have room in your heart to fill with God's love, he will fill you to the measure of the fullness of God. You know, when you drive down the road and you see these barren trees, Oftentimes you'll look up and you'll see a couple dead leaves, right? Still hanging on to life, trying to. The only thing that causes those leaves to fall off is new growth, pushing them out. The only way for you to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God is to now allow new life to come into your heart and to displace those things that you filled your heart with those affections that you have for your own life, the affections that you have for things that aren't God are taking up room in your life. 
But if you allow the love of God to displace those things over the course of your life, you can be filled more and more to the measure of the fullness of God. Which brings us to the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you want God to do the unimaginable in your life this year? You know what would be unimaginable? Not if you accomplished all of the goals that you hoped to accomplish. So that way you felt better about yourself going into the following year. It's if we prioritize the things of God. It's if we moved into this year asking for the real strength that we need. Inner strength. It's asking that God would help us to know his love so that we can love one another. It's so that we can experience a greater level of fulfillment in life than we've ever experienced before, so that you and I can be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound like an awesome year? Amen.